available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner, gonna try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together, we make the Podcast of Champions talking all things Pac-12 football. It doesn't get any better than the Pac-12. You guys all know that. Come on. The Conference of Champions. This is the Podcast of Champions. And we got some championship questions from all of you guys. If you want to send us something... Pac-12 podcast at gmail.com is the email address, or if you'd rather call or text us, 424-532-0678. That's the number. We love to hear from you. Uh, you can tweet us at Pac-12 podcast. The website, as always, Pac-12podcast.com. All the old episodes, you can get all the kind of data and stuff you need from the site, from our show up on Pac-12podcast.com. And make sure you subscribe. Give us a rating, five stars. All that stuff is great. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Uh, Stitcher Radio, Megaphone, wherever you listen to the podcast, please let everyone know how much you enjoy the podcast of champions. Yeah, because we are enjoyable, right? After a fashion. Now, maybe Pac-12 football isn't. I think there's a strong <laughs> argument, in fact, that it isn't. But we, we're okay. We are not bad. We are defiantly, demonstrably not horrible. <laughs> I think that's fair. I think that's a fair assessment of our abilities as podcasters. So <laughs> we've been that's 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 all you can ask. Yeah, we've been doing it a while. Uh, you know, we're trying to do better on the tweeters and stuff, and doing all those things. So hopefully, you guys keep listening, keep enjoying the show. And uh, we, it's sort of a little. I think for power wise, David, it seems like there's a few at the top that seem like the powers of the conference, and then there's sort of everybody else. But we'll get. This week, at least. Yeah. But next week, who knows? Who knows? It is different every week. It's all week. topsy-turvy. And our picks were garbage. We picked the same this week, and we were one and mm-hmm. one, three and one. Um, yeah. Now, a lot of the teams we picked, their quarterbacks got hurt. Um, the Stanford game where we tied, the line was, you know, I guess we got it at three when it, it went way up after that. Um, so, yeah, there's some... There's some things, there's some disadvantages of picking earlier in the week. And since we're doing this later in the week, apologize for that. Dave was traveling. So maybe we'll get some better lines this week instead of the uh, the Monday line. Well, the idea is that the lines get worse for the gambler as the week goes on. Like the closing yeah. line is a much tougher line than the early line. Not that we're any good at this anyway, but... Normally uh, we're pretty good. Yeah, maybe but, it's counterintuitive because we're just, you know, basically blindly throwing darts at a donkey's butt. I mean, maybe it will be better at the end of the week. Yeah. Who knows? But when, Who knows? But I think the thing is when, like, we knew, like, we wanted to get points in Oregon State. As the line goes up, we're like, oh, yeah, this is great. Now, Oregon State came out and played like butt. and uh, Stanford No, 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 no. We're going to talk about that game because that's a real frustrating one for me because I was calling that one all week. We're going to talk about it in a second. Oregon okay. State should have won that damn game. They should have won that damn game. They should have won it going away. 
every soft factor of that game except for the fact that they just couldn't finish a damn drive. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll get into that. Uh, I wanted to let everyone know about our uh, thanks, Matthew, for uh, compiling the picks, the survival pool, the suicide pool. Um, So last week we had 31 winners. So we've been down from over 300. Um, There were 25 winners this week. So 12 people picked Stanford. That's risky. Uh, Nine took Washington. (laughs) Um, not as risky. Arizona, three people picked Arizona. Risky. Uh, someone picked Utah. A little risky there. And then uh, six people picked Cal, and they lost. So pretty good. So everyone looked like everyone picked. Uh, we're down to 25, so getting down to the nitty-gritty. Uh, thanks, Matthew, for doing that. And then the Pac-12 Football Players of the Week. Um, we got Tyler Huntley and uh, Francis Bernard uh, for the offensive-defensive players, so both from Utah and then Jet Toner, one of our favorite names, uh, the Stanford kicker who won the game at the end against Oregon State. He gets the special teams player of the week. Um, so a, a kicker who missed a field goal gets the special teams player of the week. Well, he he hit the field goal to win, correct? He won. Whatever. They wouldn't have needed that field goal if he'd hit the one early. Yeah. He missed that one. That's true. Whatever. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, yeah. Whatever. Yeah, so, okay, so thanks to that. We have offensive lineman was uh, Cole Cabral uh, from Arizona State, the center. Uh, George Lee, another Arizona State guy on the defensive line. And that Grant Guttel, the the quarterback from Arizona who came in for the injured Khalil Tate, he got the uh, freshman player of the week. All right. Yeah. Very cool. Good Congrats stuff. to all those guys. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he was one of those ones where it was like, we thought Arizona would cover and they did not, but we'll, we'll get into all that. Um, what other, oh, order of business. I guess we got to, you know, our picks weren't very good. We we know about that. But you know what's good? You know what's good, David? My bookie. I know what's good. My bookie's really, really good. Um, they've been good to us. And uh, thanks to you making sure you guys go out and check them out. I'm trying to do my picks later in the week with my bookie as opposed to when we're picking now. So that's helped a little bit. But, you know, at the end of the week where I like to make my picks, you want to sit down, take some time off, watch football, game-winning touchdowns, two-minute drives, all the exciting Pac-12 football stuff. You can get that and check it out. Get some action on it at MyBookie. So go to MyBookie.ag. No one gives you more ways to win than they do. MyBookie's got the fastest payouts and better lines than any other sports book. Don't forget, when you're where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. So MyBookie.ag is the best in the business. It's where I play, where you should too. So um, wouldn't be telling you guys about this if we didn't think they were great. They've been awesome for us over the last couple of years. So thanks again uh, to my bookie. Uh, if you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little, win a lot, if you would try a parlay, you can. if your picks come through, you can multiply your winnings. And no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time. We like the Pac-12 too, but NFL games, I think I have a little more fun betting on than the Pac-12, especially my bet, my uh Record so far this year with the Pac-12, but hopefully we'll turn that around. So join now at MyBookie. You can double your first deposit if you use promo code PAC-12 to activate the offer. That's promo code PAC-12, MyBookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid. Awesome read. Just fantastic. And yeah, do my bookie, but do it with my picks. Don't do it with Ryan's. <laughs> we had the Ryan's same pick last 45, week. He, yeah, you're 45% on the season. I'm 55% with me. Even with a little bit of a vig, you're making some money. Yeah, uh, it was bad. That first week really kind of shut me down. But all right, so let's see. I guess we got to jump right into it. We have to go to our Pac-12 Roundup. Oh, wait. Do we want to talk about some of the news and notes first? Yeah, but this can be part of a Pac-12 Roundup. Yeah, okay. I think it works. I think you're doing it. All right. You're doing great. 
All right, we got to talk fair pay to play, right? Oh, yeah. California. NIL. Leading the moral universe as always. Yeah. Puts into law the fair pay to play. Now, it won't go into effect till 2023, but this means that athletes are going to be able to make money off of their likenesses. It's great. It's wonderful. It might, given that there's going to be a snowball effect here pretty soon, because I think it's New York, South Carolina, now Florida have all proposed laws of their own. I mean, I think this is going to be a snowball effect, and I think the end result, Ryan, the most important result from this is that EA Sports NCAA football will be coming back. That's my prediction for the next few years. I think it has to come back. And I agree with you. I think this is a good thing. Um, I think the Pac-12 probably put out the lamest statement of all the other conferences. Oh, just just moral cowardice from those punks. With Larry Scott making over $5 million a year. And I think it's more of a... It's like when I used to work as an engineer, like if you're like selling against somebody else, you put FUD out there, like fear, uncertainty, and doubt. So you mentioned like, hey, this is bad for Olympic sports. Hey, this is bad for female athletes when it's exactly the opposite. Like you're a star softball pitcher for UCLA and you're from like Nevada. Well, when you go home, you can run clinics and make money off of like, hey, this is uh, Shelly Smith, the you know, the star pitcher from UCLA, she won a national championship yeah. last year. Come get a clinic with her and she'll teach you how to throw this, this sinker ball or whatever. And Exactly. And so it's good for, like, you can be a stud, you know, water polo player or lacrosse player and make money, you know. and Or you could be, like, a great long snapper who would never make any money and you put out some crazy video of how to do it and you make money on YouTube or you Yeah, look at Caitlin Ohashi, the gymnast. I mean, oh, God. she had that viral 13 million hits on her YouTube video. Well, she couldn't make a dime off that. Now she can. That's great. Yeah. Oh yeah, she got she there got, was like millions. Like so if that was part of her own social media thing, she would yeah, she could make money off that. So I think this is a good thing. I, I was really upset with the way the NCAA statement was terrible, but the Pac 12s was just awful. Well, especially because there is a real politics standpoint that this will advantage California, which is a huge amount of the base of um, the Pac-12, relative to other leagues. Now, obviously, the end result is that probably all states are going to ratify some form of this law or another within the next few years. Um, But in the reality of right now, um, this is a boon for the Pac-12. Kids are going to want to go to the California schools uh, to – Go play ball, and in a lot of different sports, because California will be the the leader in this regard. Um, now, obviously, other states might jump on board, but we don't know that for sure at this point. Um, so, I, I think it's just it's cowardice. Um, it's a lack of leadership, obviously, from that entire um, institution, which is to be expected. Um, I mean, we we're not expecting great leadership from the Pac-12 at this point, but. Um, you got to call the NCAA's bluff with all that nonsense about maybe we'll just have to do this without the California schools because that's never going to happen. And if it did, it would just lead to the quick crumbling of the NCAA. Um, so, no, I think it's a very, very good thing. I think it's a, a step towards real equity for athletes um, who especially – and a lot of people are making Title IX arguments who probably just don't really understand the law. Um, but this is really, really – beneficial especially for the revenue generating athletes who are spending so much of their time and in football especially um so much of their like good years and so many of the miles that get put on their bodies 
um, I think it's a, it's a, it's an obvious step and it's a good one. And, um, hopefully it leads to even more going forward. And, you know, one offshoot of this that I've heard talked about is it legalizes, you know, boosters to pay athletes money. Great. That's awesome. Cause these kids should be getting paid. And if boosters want to make it a little bit more above board and give them a, you know, $10,000 to go advertise at their car dealership. Great. That's awesome. Uh, you know, it's like it's sort of like a free market at work as as far as this stuff goes. Like everyone's not going to be able to get paid, and um, you know, the, the car dealership, the local car dealership, is not going to be able to pay everybody on the roster. Um, and they're like, well, what, Alabama is going to just get everybody, all the players. Well, they already get all the players. Like I don't think that's going to change. Well, that's the thing is, there's no reality where it's going to change that a lot because. Already, at the SEC schools are uniformly cheating, and as I've said before, everyone's cheating a little. Like, there's always something going on that's a little bit shady. Um, this might make a little bit more of it illuminated, but it's not. I don't know that it's going to change the picture of the haves and haves-nots of college football in terms of the institutions themselves. What it is going to change is that more people are going to be getting a little bit more of the pie. More people are going to be getting a little bit more of the money involved in the sport um, because. If Booster A is paying $10,000 to this athlete to come to the school and you know sponsor the dealership, maybe he's donating a little bit less to the institution. But the amount of money he's putting into the whole thing isn't changing. It's just being distributed a little bit more equitably. Yeah. Um, so I think it's all to the good. And if EA Sports, instead of having to pay out licensing fees just to the NCAA and the member institutions, also has to pay a little bit out of that kitty to – the players, you know, there has to be a distribution to everybody featured in a video game. That's great. That's money that wasn't arriving in their pockets before, and I doubt the overall amount is going to change all that much. Yeah. Um. I think it's, I, I think it's 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 more equitable, and more equitable is generally good. So yeah, I think this is a great solution, and um, hopefully it continues and uh, gets expanded across all fifty states because I think it's. Uh, it's a good step in a positive and right direction for uh, for college athletics. And the one thing I don't think it's going to matter, the Florida bill that just got introduced goes into effect the middle of 2020, like less than a year from now. So that hasn't passed oh, yeah. yet. The California bill doesn't go into effect till January of 2023. I don't think any of the individual state stuff is going to matter. The fact that all the states are doing it is forcing the NCAA to do something. Now, they asked California to hold off on, you know, till their committee meets in October or something, and they come up with like their own solution. Um, Governor Gavin Newsom, who apparently, and I'm not, I'm not a big politician guy. So to have like the politicians versus the NCAA for me is like, you know, it's like, I don't know, two, two evils like fighting each other. But is there somebody out there who's like a big politician guy? Nobody no, likes politicians. That's true. Yeah, I, don't, I guess that's true. But everyone, well, people, I don't know. Some people get really into certain candidates and stuff, but whatever. Well, some people some people are into fandom, but that's a different right, thing. Right, they're fans like, of they, like... They, they treat it like it's an athletic contest. Yeah. Everybody in politics is scum. Like, everybody. It's just, are they a scum who generally, like, you know, pontificates the right beliefs that you believe in? Right. That's it. That, that makes sense. But so, apparently, Gavin Newsom asked the NCAA... Hey, what's you know? What are you guys leaning towards? What are you doing? And they couldn't get an answer, so he wasn't going to delay this because of the NCAA, um, you know, not knowing what the hell was going on and, and just not not doing anything. So this sort of pushes the ball forward. And my feeling, Dave, is that this the NCAA has to come back and do something. They don't want to oh, deal yeah. with all individual states. So 
for people who think like, well, if you're a Washington fan, you're like, oh my God, Cal's going to get this player that we were going to get. Like, I don't think it's going to come to that. It's like, it's going to come down to the NCAA changing the the whole rule to allow, you know, so the states, it doesn't really matter what the states are saying. And the good thing is the California, um, uh, essentially their act, I think it's conservative enough in its scope that it's something the NCAA, after swallowing hard, will be able to more or less adopt as their own policy. Because basically, it's um, you can profit off your own likeness, but you can't do anything that's going to conflict with an agreement that the school already has in place. So you're not going to have issues where like Nike, which has already negotiated a contract with a particular school, then has to renegotiate with every single player at that school. Um, and I don't think there's going to be a thing where you know, individuals at the different institutions have a right to their own media rights. Like, I don't think there's going to have to be a payout to each individual to feature them on a, you know, a certain thing. Um, I think the California rule isn't so far reaching that it's, it gets into absurdity. And I think it's clear enough in its scope that, yeah, I mean, I think the NCAA should just more or less adopt it as their own policy because it is the way this thing was going. It's the way Olympics have gone. I mean, it just, it makes sense. It's easy it's not as far-reaching as I would like. I'd love pure free agency. I'd love the relaxation of the transfer rules and allow anybody to get any amount of money that people are willing to pay them to go play college football or college basketball. It's not that. This is a, a conservative move towards that, but um, I think it's something that the NCAA can willingly adopt, and if they want to survive as an institution, uh, they almost certainly will have to. Yeah. Well, we'll see where, where it goes from here, but I think it's a positive Step and anything that kind of gets in the NCAA's way is uh, okay in my book. Um, Agreed. A lot of injuries, David. So there was 34. John, John Wilner counted 34 starters out for week five, including five quarterbacks. Um, a lot of dudes banged up in the Pac-12. And it did affect a lot, you know, because, you know, talk about like a Khalil Tate not really realizing he was going to be out until the last minute. It's like, oh, and then, you know, with Cal – uh, a Chase Garbers going down in the first quarter, I believe it was, or when, you know, the, the game was tied at seven, seven. We'll talk about that game a little bit, but you know, they look like a completely different team, man. That's just some big injuries for in the PAC 12. Oh yeah. And it's, and it's not a league that can really sustain it. Um, you know, it's probably a less talented league than, you know, the sec for sure. But you know, you can make an argument, big 10, big 12 too. Um, so losing, your top level guys from a league that was already, you know, not was fourth basically in the, uh, in any kind of analytics is not great. Not great. Um, but you know, Washington and Oregon are still in pretty good shape. They look like the standard bearers. So we'll see. Yeah. We'll see with that. Uh, any other topics? Let's see. Um, I don't want to talk about Mike Leach. He called all the players fat and stupid after the Utah loss, but, yeah. Whatever. I mean, you're telling on yourself there, buddy. Like, if, if you're calling somebody soft and fat, like, I'm not going to sit here calling somebody soft and fat because, look, I mean, I'm not, I'm not like a living Adonis. Mike Leach out there calling people soft and fat. Yeah. Come on, buddy. But also, um, you lost 38-13. Like, do you think, you know, you're an offensive guru and you scored 13 points. I don't know. You take any ownership over that? Yeah. And uh, it's funny. I was listening to the Audible with our friends, Bruce and Stu. And one of uh, Mike Leach's sayings and that he says all the time is you're either coaching it or allowing it to happen There's something I'm paraphrasing, but I think that's, that's pretty much what the quote was. So 
he's basically saying that it comes down to the coach. So if someone's doing something stupid, you either coach them to do that or you're allowing them to do that. So right. if they're fat and stupid, you allow them to get that way or slow, fat, and slow, right. or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think, um, yeah. And I don't think he conveyed that sentiment at all in his comments after the game. And yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, he gets, he gets ornery. Um, cool. All right. Well, what let's, else? Anything else? Anything else? No, let's jump no, into this these is games. All good. This is all good. Yeah, let's talk some games. Let's talk some football contests. All right. And since, you know, we played it once, we'll do it again. Pac-12 Roundup. I like it. I like it. Um, all right. So let's go. Let's see. We got first up. Uh, we are our number 12 team. And uh, sorry, Beavs, but you're here again, and you're probably stuck there for a while. Oregon State Beavers. And uh, they're taking on, or they took on our... Uh, what was our number 10 team now? It's the Stanford Cardinal. Yeah, I would have perhaps made the bold decision to still have Stanford 12th. Um, really? Because they, I thought they were outplayed in this game. Um, yes, I know. I know it was 21 nothing Stanford at one point. Um, hey, Dave, it, but, it was 21 nothing Stanford at one point. I'm, I'm, I'm aware. I'm aware, Ryan. And that makes me angry. It was a 14 nothing at the half, by the way. So, Yeah, yeah, I get it. Okay. I get it. But if you look at like the raw stats of this game and the drives that Oregon State was able to put together, and they just couldn't finish anything. So in the first half, they missed two field goals. They had a 9-play, 33-yard drive, no points. They had a 10-play, 77-yard drive, no points. And they had an 11-play, 29-yard drive, no points. Um that's a that's a lot of yardage in what was not their best half to produce zero points. Then in the second half, they have a six-play, 29-yarder, no points, and then they proceed to score four straight touchdowns when they finally get it right. But they had – I mean, the end of half was basically they got the ball to Stanford's 25 and then got sacked. Um, the two missed field goals came after they drove – huge amounts of yardage into Stanford territory. Just put it together, Beavs. Win the friggin' game. Um, if they'd made both of those field goals, they would have won the game, but also just finish a damn drive. Um, but I didn't think Stanford even looked that good. Like, I thought Davis Mills looked sharp enough, but Oregon State is a bad defense, and Stanford was still only able to produce 353 yards on roughly six yards per play. That's not great against Oregon State. That's pretty mediocre against Oregon State. Yeah. Um, and Oregon State was able to drive more or less at will against the Stanford defense and just kind of got a little bit off track in the first half um, when they had an opportunity to score. Um, but I came away from this game more impressed with Oregon State than I was with Stanford. Um, the, the final score be damned. So, yeah, I mean, Stanford, I think, has a lot to figure out. KJ Costello was out again. Um Davis Mills does look really good. Like, he looks like a good, solid quarterback. Um, but Cameron Scarlett, I mean, this is a bad Oregon State defense and generating 24 carries for 92 yards. That's mediocre. Yeah. Um, and then on Oregon State's side, I mean, with a limited Jamar Jefferson and Artavis Pierce mostly handling the entire carries, they averaged, I mean, he averaged almost eight yards a carry himself. Um yeah, this Stanford team is not good at all. Um, and Oregon State, I think if a couple different breaks go their way, um, they win this one. Um, now, is this me being sour grapes, Ryan? Maybe. Maybe a little. Because we were crowing hard 
saying Oregon State was going to win this one handily. And they didn't. Um, but I still think this was a game where, you know, from the eye test perspective, Oregon State ended up impressing me more. I, I agree with you 100%. They just looked better. Um, you know, Davis Mills did look better than what we've seen him before. He was 18 to 25 for 245 yards. He threw three touchdowns and caught the other one. So he was definitely involved in this where, he, you know, maybe in the other ones he, he wasn't as much. But, you know, Jake Luton, 27 of 39, 339 yards. Isaiah Hodgins, he had, you know, 10 catches for 162 yards. Like, it seemed like if you look at the stats, like, all right, this is a game Oregon State can win, uh, but they didn't. You know, you fall down early. Like you said, they weren't finishing drives. Um, this this ended a three-game losing streak for Stanford. It was David Shaw's first. It would have been a four-game losing streak if it went the way we kind of thought it would go. Um, at the end of the game, I mean, I thought the Beavers played hard at the end. They tie it, uh, and then they allow a long kickoff return. So it was just always these things where it's like you do like two things right and then one thing wrong. And Oregon State's not good enough to be able to just not – got to put like three good plays in a row together. It just seemed like yeah. they weren't able to do that, if you know what I mean. But they give up that long kickoff return. Jet Toner, you know, redeems himself and hits that field goal. So it's like I, – I don't know. It's – uh. You know, they, they had a chance at the end of the first half even, and then Luton gets sacked. And they so, you know, they, they got taken out of field goal range. It was just like these little mistakes. And that's just what we've kind of come to know from Oregon State. When And when they cover, when they look good, they clean up some of them. But this is a this was a very winnable game. If you're a Beaver fan, you have to be – you have to know, like, man, this was a really good shot to get a win. Yeah. Well, they'll have another good shot this weekend. <laughs> Uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. All right. So speaking of, you, there's a little foreshadowing. Our number 11 team, David. UCLA Bruins. Uh, they took on our now our number nine team. Arizona Wildcats. Yeah, this was a weird one. Um, so UCLA uh, lost 2017 to Arizona. Um, before the game, Arizona, uh, Jason Shear actually reported that uh, – uh, Arizona would be without Khalil Tate and J.J. Taylor. So, look, this is UCLA surging over the final 20 minutes of the Washington State game, looking unbeatable. And now they're going against Arizona that's Tateless and J.J. Taylorless. You're thinking a win, right? Yeah. You're thinking a big win in the desert. Bruins starting something good. And, and, and I'm feeling bad about our, our, our giving eight points and taking Arizona because, like, oh, the two best players for Arizona are out. That's not good. Right, and that ends up not being good for our heroes. Nonetheless, uh, UCLA finds a way to lose. Um, I thought they had an absurdly conservative offensive game plan. Um, if you watch this one, you saw a steady diet of just Josh Kelly inside zone, Josh Kelly inside zone. Uh, Demetric Felton was really limited um, in terms of his usage after he was explosive against Washington State. He was only in on... I think it was 29% of snaps um, with Kelly getting the vast bulk of, uh, of offensive snaps. Um, Dorian Thompson Robinson was not particularly sharp and then he got hurt, uh, looked like a high ankle. Um, and then Austin Burton came in and looked fine um, as the backup, but Thompson Robinson didn't look great uh, when he was in. He looked much more like the one, the quarterback we saw in the first three games, first three and a half games and not the one we saw in the last half of the Washington state game. Um, they didn't run that same kind of tempo they were using in the Washington State game, which you know lends credence to the idea that that was just a time and score thing that they were doing. It had nothing to do with a change in strategy. Um, so, and that was all offensively, um, and it wasn't 
good, but it wasn't it wasn't horrible. Um, they ran the ball pretty well. Josh Kelly was fine on that inside zone stuff. It's just they didn't generate any explosive plays. But they were they were fine offensively. Um, they probably should have scored a little bit more than they did. Defensively, it's a little deceptive. Um, but going against Grant uh, Gunnell or Gunnell, what do we think that is? I, I was. They kept saying Gunnell on the broadcast. I don't know if that's right. I'd, it should be Gunnell. I'm going to call him Gunnell. I thought it was Gunnell. Okay, yeah, I'll go with whatever you like. We'll have- I like it. I, I think it sounds better because you hit the gun harder, and I think a quarterback you know, with a gun in his – I think that just sounds better, right? I like it. Okay. Grant Gunnell. Um, so watching this guy, I mean, he was – and I'm not trying to denigrate his performance, but if you were just watching him throw on any individual throw, you would have been stunned at the end of the game to see that he had 350 yards. <laughs> um, he looked a little shaky. His ball was a little bit wobbly coming out. Um, they talked about it on the broadcast. He looked like he was aiming the ball instead of throwing it. But the deal was UCLA's defensive backs were absolutely nowhere in sight most of the time he was throwing the ball. So he had – I mean, he was just playing catch out there. Um, and so he finished 29-44 for 352 yards. But it's not like he looked that exceptional. I think that's just like replacement-level play in this offense against this defense right now. This is one of the weirdest and worst pass defenses I think I've ever seen um, UCLA this year. Uh, They just, no matter what they're trying to do, if they try to do press coverage, somehow a safety gets pulled up and they just get blown up in the backside. And then if they try to do something like cover three, you'll see on a third and eight that they'll just drop their corners like 50 yards downfield. And it's just like, who, what is going on? Because it's a combination of two things, and ultimately it all comes down to coaching. But it's, all right, are they not getting the right call in for individual plays first, where they're just playing too deep coverage at different times, or if they're playing, you know, too aggressive at different times? But also, there's like no situational awareness among these defensive backs of where are the sticks? How far can I drop here? It's just, it's baffling to watch. Um, but defense, they, they gave up 20 points, um, but this should have been much worse. Um, because it, And if it had been Tate and J.J. Taylor out there, it probably would have been. Um, but it was an awful defensive performance, and it's really it, you don't get the full picture of it when you see the 20 points for Arizona. I think one of those long touchdowns, like Chip Kelly said, they dropped eight guys in the coverage, and it still went over their heads. Like, How do you let that happen? You know, The, the 75-yard touchdown was basically a blown play by the safety where – I think they actually were intending to drop eight, maybe, but the safety decides that he's going to follow the running back, um, who's who's basically uh, you know moving in the backfield, and what ends up happening is nobody is back deep, like not a single person. It's just like eleven guys, just kind of amoeba like within fifteen yards of the line of scrimmage, and so the wheel route just gets behind, and it's just. It's it, it it's I I really don't have a good explanation for it. It's one of the worst pass defenses, but also weirdly bad. Yeah. Because it's bad at everything. It's not just that they're giving up a ton of explosive plays, but they also just give up third down conversions all day. Um it's just it's absurd to watch and if and Gunnell I didn't think was that great. I think if they'd been facing if this had been the same thing as Washington State, it would have been another team if it had been the same quarterback um, they would have given up another 60. It's just Arizona was working with a freshman quarterback who couldn't quite, you know, hit the big throws. Yeah. But he was he was converting balls the entire game. I mean, I don't want to take anything away from him, um, but I think it was a product of UCLA's pass defense just being virtually non-existent. So Arizona, one, has won three in a row. 
So cool for them. Uh, Hawaii looks pretty darn good with the only loss being at Washington. And this is without your two best offensive players. Now we know Arizona is pretty deep at running back and they showed that uh, in this game, but to have, uh, you know, God come in and be able to play, you know, throw for over 300 yards. Like they've said, didn't look like he played amazing, but he did it well enough in this one, Arizona, you know, ranked number nine. I don't know like this. They might be, you know, they could definitely be higher than this. Um, their schedule, you know, it's uh, got some games coming up at Colorado, Washington, at USC. Uh, but, you know, you got at Stanford, Oregon State. I mean, there's there's some winnable games out here. So I'm I'm really curious to watch this Arizona team. The defense is playing much better. I mean, they look like crap. It's, and it's playing – and I do want to shout that out. The Arizona defense was a lot more aggressive in this game than I saw in previous games, especially against Hawaii when – you know, I was joking on Twitter about uh, Marcel Yates' love of dropping eight and rushing three. Yeah. Um, they were bringing some pressure. Um, they were moving guys around and sending it from odd angles and making UCLA's offensive line really work, and UCLA's offensive line doesn't really work right now. So um, that I, I thought their defense played really well. Um, I don't know how good it is at the end of the day. Um, I think some better offenses are going to be able to take advantage of, of some of their issues. Um, but – they do a pretty nice job of preventing big plays, um, and if you can do that, and you know Tate and Taylor can get back and healthy, yeah. I mean Arizona could do some things this year. They can make a bowl game at the very least, yeah. um, and I think if they can do that this year, I think that's a that's a pretty good sign after not looking good in that opener against Hawaii. Um, but as we said then, their season's not over, and those early season results are. You know, you can throw them in a trash bin. Um, and now they look like a much better team. So that's great. Yeah, they're more aggressive. I think they got more aggressive against Texas Tech. And then, you know, they didn't take their foot off the pedal after the bye week. So watch out for Arizona. That's going to be one of those teams that they could come out. And, you know, maybe they beat uh, a USC or a Washington or something. And you're like, oh, okay, this is a real team. Um, yep. All right, let's move on. Our uh, number eight team, man, this is a pretty big fall. Washington State Cougars. <laughs> Uh, they were taking on our now number three team, Utah Utes. Yeah, this one, I mean, this was, I think, a combination of Washington State not really, just not having it in any real way, and Utah looking out, looking to avenge some things from last week. Um, Utah was incredible in this game. Uh, Tyler Huntley was just outstanding at quarterback. Uh, but that rushing attack was just dominant, um, just doing whatever they wanted against this Washington State defense. Um, they, I, I thought that offensive attack was incredible. And then to do what they did defensively against Washington State's passing attack, after Washington State's passing attack, even then losing to UCLA, was incredible. Um, Anthony Gordon threw nine touchdowns in that game, and this one, I mean, this was as good as you can do against an air raid quarterback. Uh, 50 attempts for 252 yards is absurd inefficiency. Um, and to do that with a couple of picks as well, uh, that was that's an incredible defensive effort against Washington State. That's like, I don't know, Jimmy Lake-esque yeah. for, uh, <laughs> for, for dealing with this Washington State <laughs> attack. And I understand the frustration for Mike Leach, but when it's your offense um, falling apart like that, you've got to own it. You can't sit there in the in the press conference and just dump on your players. Um, you're an offensive guru, man. You got to score more than 13 points in this game. But I think all credit to the Utah defense. They and this game was, 
I mean, it wasn't quite in the bag at halftime, but you could kind of feel the way it was going even at that point. Um, It was just a lot harder looking for Washington State than it was for Utah. Um, And then in the second half, they just ran away with it with with interceptions um, where they just kind of turned it. But this was a game where it wasn't close. I mean, Utah had 526 yards. Washington State had 313. You're not winning many games like that, no matter what the play distribution is. No, I agree. It felt like it was over at halftime, especially because it was – uh, you know, in Salt Lake City, it was the best game Utah played this year. Uh, a huge bounce back. Uh, you know, playing two air rated kind of teams in a row, and the way USC was able to take advantage of that Utah secondary with a third string quarterback. Um, I think they made some really good adjustments uh, playing Mike Mike Leach's squad. They looked much better. Uh, they had twelve pass breakups, two interceptions on forty nine pass attempts. So. They really got after it um, and, and just played much better than what we saw them play against USC. Huntley was amazing, 334 yards and four touchdowns, two on the ground, two through the air. He didn't turn the ball over. And that's without Zach Moss and Britton Covey. They were both out. Um, so Covey might redshirt. He, that was a note. Yeah, he could uh, he could potentially redshirt now. So I'm curious to see sort of what happens there. Um, Washington State, to me, Dave, it's been like – it's like they have an identity crisis the last game and a half. Um, this is the first time they've had back-to-back conference losses since uh, 2016. They've given over, given up over 1,100 yards the past two games. So this is uh, I don't the reality is the reality is they might just not have played anybody good. Yeah, and this is the first really good team they played, and they got their you know they got their you know what's kicked in the dirt. <sighs> I mean, Houston's not any good. Um, they they've only beaten Prairie View. They lost at Tulane this past week. Um, Northern Colorado's Northern Colorado, and it's New Mexico State. But they hadn't played anybody. UCLA's no good, and they lost sixty seven sixty three and gave up a ton of points. And yeah, you could say that's a little bit fluky. But then to follow it up by giving up thirty eight to Utah, a team that struggled against USC the previous week, um, they just they might be average. Yeah. Um, you know, and we were basing a lot off of what they did against mediocre opponents. And they did look good against those mediocre opponents. I don't want to say they didn't. Um, but maybe it's just simply, you know, and this is what we were expecting at the start of the season. So I don't want to, like, recalibrate to say they're awful now. Um, but they might just be a, a 500-ish team this year or a little over 500. And that's fine. I mean, it's a rebuilding year, and it was expected to be. Um, but, I, I, yeah, I came away from this one just more impressed with Utah than anything. And um, this – this Washington State receiving core, I was really impressed with, and they shut them down. Um, Desmond Patman was a semi-factor, but Aesop Winston was a non-factor. Um, and that that's impressive to me, especially after you, Ryan Abraham, <laughs> called out the Utah secondary after the USC game. Yeah, they, they bounced back. They played a lot better. So uh, props to, to Utah. They look like a real team. We have them as our number three team, so they're in that, that power group up at the top. All right, uh, our number seven team, David. Colorado Buffalo. They had a bye. So uh, yep. they're sitting this one out. It's funny, my neighbor this morning, I was uh, coming out of my, no, it was yesterday. I was coming out of my driveway and uh, he went to Colorado and uh, he's like, so you thought we'd only win two games this year? And I was like, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't even know he listened to the podcast. You know, it's like, we don't really talk about that kind of stuff. So. It's pretty funny. So I was like, oh, yep. Well, three games already. So good, you know, good stuff for Mel Tucker. <laughs> it's pretty funny. I was like, thanks, neighbor, call me out. All right. Uh, our number six team. California Golden Bears. 
That uh, they were taking on our now number four team. Can you believe this, David? Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> oh, I can very much believe it. Um, yeah, so uh, Cal um, lost Chase Garbers in this game, which did, I think, change the complexion of their offense. But this was going to be a back and forth. Well, not a back and forth. I think that's. That's a misnomer given the amount of scoring in this game. It was going to be a relatively evenly played game no matter who was playing quarterback for Cal. I think both defenses really, really came to play. But once once Garbers went out, and um, look, it was I, love over. My man Devon, I love my man Devon Modster. Uh, he's a, he's a, I thought he should have gotten a shot at UCLA, but he looked rusty and bad. Um, five completions. For, uh, in 14 attempts for 23 yards and a pick. That's about as bad as you can play the quarterback position. Yeah. Um, but once that happened, I mean, Cal wasn't going to be doing a whole lot scoring. No. Um, and I thought ASU looked good. Um, to go against this Cal defense, which is legitimately very, very good, I thought Jaden Daniels, again, looked poised, looked like he shouldn't look as a true freshman. Like, just looked... Yeah, Everybody who was recruiting this kid, Utah, UCLA, I think they should all be generally jealous that ASU got this guy. Um, Eno Benjamin, I thought, again, against a really good defense, I thought he produced. Um, It's not going to be his most excellent stat line, um, but the offensive line's playing a little bit better now. Um, Cole Cabral had a really nice game. Um, You know, I think shifting him back to center and making those moves on the line have really benefited this offense. Um, and defensively, I thought they, they handled things even when Garbers was in the game, but especially when he went out, um, with Modster and, uh, really nice win for ASU. They're never going to win or lose a game by more than a score. (laughs) We just have to accept that about them. Uh, this was a really ugly game in the first half. It was seven, seven, then it was 14, 14 after three. Uh, but then they pulled away in the fourth quarter. Um, but yeah, they're, they're going to grind teams out. They're going to win a lot of these NFL-ish type games. They're going to lose a couple of these NFL-ish type games, but um, it's what Herm knows, and I think if they keep winning, ASU fans will be fine with it. 100%. Both of these teams are 4-1 now. Uh, we were getting Cal in five points. I feel pretty confident if Garbers doesn't get hurt, we cover the spread at least. Like ASU might win by a field goal or something, but once he went down, Cal was like literally dead. Uh, 25 yards of offense in the last 25 minutes. So that's a yard a minute. Um, that's pretty good. Is that bad? That's not good. Uh, John, John Milner provided okay. that one. So they didn't have a first down in their last four possessions of the game. Like not one first down. Um, that's just terrible. And you feel bad. Garbers could be out significant amount of time. What does this mean for Cal? Uh, I mean, this was definitely a, seemed like a winnable game until he got hurt. Uh, ASU did miss a couple field goals, though, and they're still able to win. And the, the Sun Devils have beat ranked teams on the road consecutively for the first. It's only the second time they've ever done that. The last time was 1986 uh, when they won the Rose Bowl. So pretty good on uh, Herm Edwards and ASU. Cal had 245 yards of offense or 3.9 yards per play. If you didn't want Cal to offense, David, this was the game. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think we might have to retire that. I think Cal probably needs to offense a little bit more. Um, now, that was with Garbers. With Devon Monster, maybe it's back to no offense. Yeah, like, oh. like, just none whatsoever. If you have more than 200 yards of offense, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> um, 
So, yeah, it, it might change the complexion. We'll need a, a game or two to evaluate. I, the, the thing with Modster is I, I think he was unable to practice until a certain amount of time into the season. I don't remember. Um, but I wonder if maybe he's just a little bit rusty. I'm I'm hoping. But dude did not look good. No. This is this is not good news for Cal. Like I think Cal was definitely doing some good things, and uh, this is a big setback. Uh, this is a place. This was an injury I don't think they could afford, and uh, it's unfortunate. No, definitely not. We'll see. Definitely Hopefully, not. I don't know when he's coming back, but I've I've only heard like out significant amount of time. I think, but yep. All right, uh, our number five team, USC Trojans. They were up in Seattle taking on our number two team. Washington Huskies. Oh, the magic of the Matt Fink era. It's gone. Gone with the wind. It giveth and really. it taketh away. Yeah, the like whole throw them up offense. Um, yeah, it's not going to work too well when you throw three picks. No. Not going to be great. Uh, yeah, Matt Fink came back to earth a little bit. Um, and that... I mean, obviously, some of this was Washington's defense being, um, I, I think, rounding into form would be the way I would describe it to an extent. Yeah. Um, but they they did some things to to put Fink in bad positions throwing the ball. But also, I yeah, this looked more like the Matt Fink I was expecting um, and not the one who came out last week. So, um, so we talked... I think we, I think some emailers have talked a little bit of crap about um, Savan Ahmed uh, over the years, um, the last year. Yeah, basically. I didn't realize there was an, a K in there, but yeah, but now there is apparently. Um, yeah. We get corrected by this in the future. Um, Seventeen carries for 153 yards. Yeah, it was and a good. long 89 yards. 89, yard yard. and then they don't they don't pronounce the L. It's just Savon, right? Like they don't say the L. Either. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep mispronouncing it in different ways. That's what I'm gonna try to do. <laughs> Um, but yeah, they, they ran it down their throats. They did, um, what they kind of wanted to on the ground. Jacob Eason was fine. Didn't really do a whole lot. He wasn't super impressive uh, to me, but he was okay. Yeah, know? he was, he was whatever. Um, what I think Ryan, um, as a, as a watcher of USC, um, over these several games, uh, my man step Marquis step needs to get a lot more carries. Yeah. You're not alone in thinking that. Uh, but Stephen Carr had a really good game. He, you know, he was like 13 yards a carry. He had a 60-yard run. I think all it's eh. yeah, he was all right though. I mean, I think they need to get him in space more. They're not. If you watch Washington State do this, and what did Gardner Minshew like kill it last year? Dumping the ball off to the running backs. Um, was it James? Is it William? What was his name? The uh, I forget. And then Borgie, like they would just dump it off to those guys and it would be like five, six yards a, a pop and just you'd pick up a bunch of stuff. If they did that to Stephen Carr more, I think it would be very effective. But they actually ran the ball pretty well, um, over 200 yards rushing after getting, you know, 13 yards last week against Utah. And I was really worried about the secondary because Talanoa Hufunga was out their best tackler. Uh, also, Elijah Griffin, their best cover corner. Uh, Greg Johnson ends up not starting the game Some. He broke some team rules, so they put Max Williams in there, who hasn't played a down all year. He starts, and the secondary actually looked pretty good. I mean, they held Washington like 180 yards passing. So things that you were worried about, like hey, if you thought USC would like the secondary would play well and limit Washington's passing attack, and they could run for over 200 yards, you're like all right, they're in this game, and they still lose by two touchdowns. So it's uh, 
USC has not looked the same on the road as home. I didn't think Utah looked very good against them last, last week. And then I don't think Washington looked all that great. They have better athletes. So you have to kind of, you know, you're, you're scheming things a little bit better, but the fact that Washington could get a convincing win by two touchdowns, I thought that was a really good step uh, for the Huskies. So they did what Utah couldn't do. They didn't let USC like out athlete them and they were able to win one. So USC's really struggled on the road. They got, they got a bye week and they're going to take on Notre Dame. So I'm curious to see what, what happens there. Everyone's on Clay Helton watch, but I thought this was a really good step in the right direction uh, for the Huskies. And, you know, they go at Stanford, which they should be able to handle it. They go to Arizona um, where they've had a lot of trouble, but I like the way things are setting up for Washington. They have the potential to be six and one and hosting Oregon, which would be a huge game uh, in week eight. Yeah. And that'll be more or less up. That'll be a definite playoff elimination game too. Um, because both of those teams, I'd still think have a, a decent outside chance at it. Um, but they need to be perfect from here on out. So that one shapes up to be pretty fun. Yeah. So it will be, but I, I like it set up for Washington, but like I said, Washington's had some horrible, they just don't play well in the state of Arizona. So don't overlook that one. That's a really good Arizona squad. They're playing a lot better. They should be able to handle Stanford on the road, but going, you know, back to back going to Arizona where you've struggled. I think that'll be a big test for Washington, but great. I mean, it's a great move for them. I think being number two is, is perfect right now. They might be playing the best uh, in the conference, but I, I, don't, I don't have a problem with who we have as our number one team. Oregon Ducks. And they, they had a buy, so. Nothing yeah, there. Absolutely. All right. Well, that wraps things up for week five. We got a preview week six. Only four games, Dave. I know. This is the uh the short week in the Pac twelve. I think there's maybe one or two of these throughout the season where we only get four games. Yeah. So and uh it'll be sad, but we'll deal with it. Yeah. So our uh the first game of the weekend we have what we we're just talking about. Arizona Wildcats. Wow. Taking on Colorado Buffalo. Yeah, so uh, this one's obviously going to hinge on some health, but at 1.30 p.m., I think this is on the Pac-12 Network. Is that right? This one is Pac-12 Network, yeah. Yeah, ESPN doesn't even list that anymore. It's really lame. Uh, Arizona traveling to Colorado. Colorado's favored by four and a half points. Um, so, yeah, this one, I, I think if if – and it's still uncertain whether Tate and JJ Taylor are going to be healthy this weekend. Um, as of, uh, our last report was a day ago. Um, so uncertain whether they'll be available. Um, Colorado obviously has some injuries of their own, but they still have quarterback health. Um, Colorado's at home. Arizona's coming off of a win, um, at home. Colorado's coming off of a bye week where, you know, in theory, they got a little bit healthier. Uh, four and a half points, Colorado, four and a half points. What are we thinking? What am I thinking? I'm thinking Colorado covers this. I think they're going to win. I think they win by a touchdown. Um, I think Arizona, if, well, if Tate's out, I think it's a, it's going to be a cover for them. I think Grant Gunnell maybe got a little bit of confidence from this past game, but I wasn't super impressed with him as a thrower. And I think even against a slightly better defense, which I think Colorado qualifies, I think he might have some more issues. So, yeah, give me uh, give me the buffs minus four and a half. All right, I'm going to take the points and Arizona. I do think the defense is playing a lot better. I'd feel a lot better if Khalil Tate was in. I mean, it's hard picking this, not knowing. 
Uh, if and I, don't, I haven't heard about J.J. Taylor either, but I like the way Arizona's running the football. I like the way both of these teams are playing. I, I picked them against ASU uh, before the bye week, and you know they end up winning the game outright, and they were getting you know over a touchdown in that one. But I think I kind of feel like it's going to be like a field goal type of game. So four and a half points, I'll take Arizona, give them a puncher's chance on the road. Just the way I like the way the defense is playing. Um, curious to see, you know, who get who comes back after the bye week from Colorado. I think Oregon State had a bye week, and we thought that would help them. It didn't really help them last week. So I'm not going to go with the bye week helping the team. I'm going to take Arizona in the four and a half. All righty. Yeah. So we're going to go different. We got to go different right away since it was so. We got to do it. Yeah. All right. Agreement did not work for yeah, us. Yeah, it was not good. All right, next up we have... California Golden Bears. Taking on... Oregon Ducks. So this is a big game, but not the big game, at 5 p.m. on Fox. Uh, California traveling to number 13, Oregon. Oregon's favored by 18 points. Obviously, a lot of that is in response to quarterback play. Oregon's defense is really good, um, and California's offense with Monster might be mm, very bad. Um, Cal's defense is good, though. So it's a question of do you think Oregon is going to score enough to cover this with Cal probably scoring between 10 and 14 points? Yeah. I don't know. That's a tough one for me. Um I think I'm going to go Oregon minus the 18 almost entirely because Oregon, I think, would have been favored by a similar amount even if Garbers had been healthy. Maybe not 18, but it would have probably been 14. I think Oregon's playing at a really, really high level. They just got a bye week. Their defense is really, really good. Um, And frankly, just better than Cal's. Um, So... Yeah, I'll go Oregon minus the 18. I've got a two. I mean, it's a lot of points, but they just, Cal looks so bad without Garbers. I just can't picture, and I, and Oregon's a different team uh, at home than they are on the road. I think they're going to score some points. I think they're going to get some defensive touchdowns in this too. So even with Cal's defense being as good as it is, I think they'll play pretty well against Oregon's offense. But I think the, I think the, the offense for Cal is going to put the defense in some bad spots. So, I kind of like a 21 or 24 point win here for Oregon. Yeah, the the Oregon defensive backs are going to pick Monster off at least three times. Yeah, so it's tough. Now you you hope Monster can bounce back and play better, but it just from what I saw, not not uh not promising. All right, obviously the best game of the weekend. We have Oregon State Beavers in the Rose Bowl, David. You know it's a big game. Taking on UCLA Bruins. All right, so this is on at 6 p.m. on the Pac-12 Network. It's a classic matchup. Uh, Oregon State traveling to UCLA. UCLA is favored by five and a half points. Wow. That that feels a, like a lot for two pretty even teams. Um, like I, So Oregon State's offense is the best thing in this game. Um, and don't get me wrong. Uh, UCLA's defense is probably the worst thing in this game. Um, Oregon State's defense is bad. UCLA's offense is eh, okay. Kind of buoyed by the um, by the explosion against Washington State, and otherwise they haven't looked too good. But you've got to figure UCLA is going to be able to score a little against Oregon State. The question is, will Oregon State ever stop scoring against this UCLA defense? Um, it's tough to say. 
Uh, I don't know that there's anyone in the secondary who's going to cover Isaiah Hodgins really well. Uh, Darnay Holmes doesn't look like he's 100%, and nobody else in the secondary looks any good at all. Um, and whatever they're trying to do schematically isn't working. So I think I'm going to take Oregon State here. Um, I don't know if they'll win, but I think it's more like a three-point UCLA game than a five-and-a-half point. So give me Oregon State. All right. I was going to take Oregon State, but I just want to go against you on this one. So I'm going to take UCLA. Um for no other reason than I'm going to go against you. <laughs> <laughs> I respect it, and I, I was thinking about it as well. Um, it would be a, it would be a UCLA thing to win this game really, really ugly, like win a really, really ugly game, and then just get their doors blown off by Stanford next yeah. week. The Beavers just, I every time I try to pick Oregon State, like they beat Cal Poly by a bunch. That was the only time it's worked. Like I picked up against Oklahoma State, they didn't cover. They covered against Hawaii like in a miraculous fashion. Like I, I, I just never. They covered against the closing line against Stanford, just not against our right, line. Right, just the line we didn't get. So, uh, I just give it UCLA at home. They gotta, they gotta play better than they did uh, at Arizona. So, do they though? They, they gotta, they gotta. Okay. All right. All right. This game used to mean something. We'll see if it does this week. We have Washington Huskies. <laughs> Going down to take on Stanford Cardinal. All right. So this game's on at 730 on ESPN. Number 15, Washington going on the road at an FCS school, Stanford. (laughs) Uh, Washington's a 16-point road favorite. That is nowhere near enough points. Give me the Huskies. Uh, Stanford, according to Bill Connolly's numbers, is now the worst team in the Pac-12, and his numbers are still accounting for um, preseason projections. Uh, If you take those out, they are horrifically bad. Um, So, yeah, Washington should win this one going away. Um, I think 16 points is too few. Stanford's very, very bad. Um, Washington's trending towards being very good again. Um, so yeah, give me Washington. I would take this without thinking too much up to Washington minus 21. Yeah, I agree with you there. Washington's covered, uh, didn't cover week one against Cal or, uh, week two against Cal, but they've covered the last three. I think they make it four in a row. So I think they're going to cover this one. 16 is a lot, but don't let the Stanford win at Oregon state fool you. It's not a very good team. So, uh, no. Let's both take Washington in this one. All right, so only four games. We did two the same, two different. Woohoo! I like it. So should we jump into some questions? Let's do it. All right, let's start with our man. Well, first, um, we are having an action executed by the jury intending your serious intention ignoring. This will be an intentional second attempt to avoid initial appearance before a magistrate judge or a grand jury for general criminal offense. This is the final attempt to reach you. Oh. To resolve this issue immediately and to speak to a federal agent, press 1 to speak to a federal agent, press 1. That's our. So I don't know what you've been doing <laughs> with our voicemail line, but we are getting some serious shit oh, man. from um, some, I, I, I'm imagining some, some, some Indian folks um, trying to um, defraud us. Well, that, that sounds serious. So what we should do, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back, try to figure this out. Okay. So we'll be back in a minute and we'll let you know what the IRS says. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, 
celebrity interviews, or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, so I got it figured out. Yeah. So we just have to buy the $5,000 Amazon gift card and send it to them, and then we're fine. Oh, that sounds like what so the So I've already done it. Okay. I've already done it. Yeah. Um, and while I was at it, I sent a little bit of money to – remember that Nigerian prince that kept emailing oh, us? Oh, he was great. I sent him a little bit of money, too. Um, just I actually just sent him my credit card number because I was figuring you know, it might be easier for him to withdraw the amount he needs than for me to do it myself. Oh, that's smart. So, yeah. Yeah, you know, I don't want to deal with the fees, right? So – um, yeah, so we got that all figured out. All right, so let's let's now move on to Trevor Beasley's question. Okay. Um, hello, gents. Long-time listener, first-time rider. Love the pod and consistently find myself being the weird guy you see driving down the freeway all alone in his car laughing like a bubbling idiot. So <laughs> thanks for that and keep up the good work. Anyway, to my question, the Ducks have been playing really well the last couple games and seem to be getting into a nice groove. Their bye week this week gives them some extra time to prep for Cal. I wonder what you two think Oregon needs to do in order to beat Cal. Is this a game Oregon should be worried about at all? I look forward to more awkward laughs and expect nothing less than two hours filled with more basketball princesses and honey smoked ham than anything credible <laughs> relating to football. Fight on. Yeah, the only issue I have in this game is that because Oregon's coached by a honey baked ham, I'm not sure the <laughs> halftime adjustments will be there or honey smoked ham or whatever it was. Uh, yeah, I mean, we talked about this a little bit. With Garber's out, uh, I, I just, I'm not giving Cal any kind of chance. I mean, this, I like the way Cal was kind of putting things together and doing a little offense, despite that Dave doesn't like that. But without, with the way, with Monster in there, it just doesn't seem like it's going to work. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think Oregon's going to be able to put a lot of pressure on the Cal offense, which will put pressure, get the ball back, put pressure on the Cal defense, and Oregon will score enough to win this game. Yeah, Oregon just needs to come in relatively sharp. The big thing is they've got to avoid turnovers. They just can't – what they can't do is turn the ball over like five times. Um, this Cal defense is good. They can force some turnovers for sure, and if Oregon's not careful, that could happen. Um, but really, so many factors would have to come into play for Cal to win this game without Garbers, without a credible offensive attack. Um, Oregon might be rusty. Maybe. Maybe their offensive execution is just a little bit off in this one. I mean, it, it could happen. Um, I think there's a real chance that Oregon doesn't cover um, the 18. I just have a harder time seeing them actually lose this game. Yeah. We got a text uh, from Brent. He said, hey, guys, love the show. I will try to get straight to the point. I've been a Beaver fan my whole life. I'm only 23, so it's been tough my whole life. Why do they suck? P.S. This is before they play Stanford, so if they win, no need to answer. Sorry, Brett, but we have to answer. Um, John Gonzalo actually did a pretty good piece talking about um, really not putting the financial resources into to winning. I don't know if you got to see that one, David, but that, it was you know there's some interesting stuff in there. Yeah, I mean, there's some of that. I think that that comes into play, but that doesn't really explain it all. Um, I, I think a major piece of it is the difficulty of recruiting talent to Corvallis, um, which is, I think, a similar problem that uh, Pullman has, um, Pullman, Washington for Washington State, and to a much, much lesser extent, a similar problem that Tucson has. 
and maybe, you know, Boulder, maybe. Um, but Corvallis and Pullman are the ones that stick out um, because they're kind of tiny towns in the middle of not nowhere, but kind of far-ish from, um, you know, major cities, major airports. Um, you know, Corvallis is only a little bit further than Eugene, but Eugene has Nike money. Um, and they don't have that benefactor that, you know, Oregon had. Um, so it's a little bit harder to recruit talent. And then they haven't, I don't think they've done a great job of differentiating them themselves. Um, you know, recently with Jonathan Smith, I, I think, look, that offense is working pretty well. Um, but the thing that works so well for Mike Leach is that you can, you can plug three-star, two-star talent into that offensive scheme and it still goes. Um, now against the best defenses, the really athletic ones, they've had some more struggles. Um, but they win, you know, they, they make their bowl or whatever every year now. Um, and I think Oregon State could get there. I, I Maybe Jonathan Smith is it. Um, that offense seems to be working fine. And Oregon State, even when it's in its doldrums, still seems to get this, you know, a couple of really good offensive players pretty regularly. Um, you know, and now it's Hodgins and Jamar Jefferson and, frankly, Artavis Pierce. I mean, those guys are – they're all packed. They're legit. Like yeah. They're legit. Yeah. They're, they're, they're totally legit guys. It's just the across the board talent. It's just harder to get guys. So I think you have to do things that level the playing field from a scheme standpoint, a little bit more than other, other teams do, but it's not as if Oregon state's always been bad. I mean, the Mike Riley years, even at the end, they weren't horrific. Um, and he had a couple of really good ones in there. Um, and he wasn't doing a whole lot different. Dennis Erickson had a, really exceptional year um, back. And this is relatively recently, 2000. I mean, obviously you were four then, but um, you know, that all in like in recorded history, I mean, they've won more than 10 games twice. And I think that's not quite as much as UCLA has done it, but pretty damn close. Um, and, you know, I, I think there's, there's potential there for the program to be better than it is right now. I think they're dealing with a lot of the, um, fallout from just the instability from going from Mike Riley to then Gary Anderson, who really just kind of tanked that last year because I think he was dealing with some stuff um, and just seemed to not be in a good place. Jonathan Smith seems to have him on the right direction, and we'll see how where that where that you know tops out ceiling wise. Um, but there, there's potential for this program to be better than it is. There's not it. There's no curse that you're going to suck forever. I don't know if it's ever going to be Oregon because I don't know if they're ever going to have a billionaire who's just willing to fund money like crazy into it. But um, you can be better than you are. Yeah, no, I agree. All right. Uh, I think see. you're up next. Yeah. Oh yeah. Speaking of uh, Frank- billionaires. Oh yeah, Frank and Sacramento, Oregon, Oregon State. Ryan and Dave, both Oregon and Oregon State were pretty bad for 50 years prior to Nike sticking a lot of money into the Ducks. Then Oregon hires a couple of good coaches, such as Mike Bellotti and Chip Kelly, and the Nike money helps in recruiting. Had Nike backed Oregon State? Oh wow, this is great. Had Nike backed Oregon State 20 years ago, would they be the program we talk about recently as being very good rather than the Ducks? Oh, good. Cool. I think I think kind of. Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, both are kind of remote areas, right? Uh, I mean, Eugene is a little bit more, yeah. you know, I five adjacent, a little bit more on the beaten path. Corvallis is a little bit off of it, but I don't know. And somebody who knows more about the area can maybe speak to the fundamentals a little bit better. But I, yeah, I don't know that it would have been 
I think you could have flipped the coin and it would have been Oregon State on top instead of Oregon. Um, because if you go back through this, the history of these two programs, I mean, it was all kind of dog crap prior to whatever, 90s. So, yeah, I don't know. Huh. Um, all right. This next one, they, it's a request that you read it. All right. Do you want to, see, okay. you want to read this one? Yeah. Uh, this is from Carlos. Or CS. Uh, Ryan and Dave, my understanding of the purpose of emailing the Pac-12 podcast is we get a chance to ask questions and roast Ryan and Dave for anything we want. In that vein, my first request is to have Dave read this email because every time Ryan reads an email, the poor man struggles and stumbles. It sounds like Ryan is constantly trying to sound out each letter in every word, and it hurts. Look, Carlos, Ryan is hooked on phonics, and we got to respect it. Yes. And some of the it stuff you guys, some of the stuff you guys write is crazy. So, yeah, haters, haters gonna hate. Uh, my question is, what are some Pac-12 traditions, rules, voodoo we need to be aware of? Here are some I'm thinking of. One, games that start at 7:30 p.m. have a disproportionately higher chance of being crazy and weird. Two, the loser of the Pac-12 championship game is also losing the Holiday Bowl. Three, top 10 teams going to Corvallis late in the season are probably going to lose. Four, the results of Friday night games are always stupid and send the conference's top-ranked teams into disarray. What others am I missing? Uh, thanks. Love that all, all that you do and tune in every week. I can't wait till you all figure out how to make money off this thing so Dave can stop using his HP Chromebook microphone to record his end. Go Bruins. Wow. Wow, Carlos, Carlos bring in the fire. Nice. Wow. Uh, those are all good points. Um is there anything else that kind of sticks out to you as far as like traditions or? Um, I mean, that sounds about right. Uh, 9 a.m. Uh, so a Pac-12 team playing a 9 a.m. non-conference road game is almost certainly going to lose and look bad doing it. Yep. Now, Cal, um, Cal did that this year and won, right? Yeah, it's just you're playing the odds over the years like that Northwestern Stanford loss. That was a 9 a.m. or yeah. Um, I think UCLA in 2014 playing against a bad Virginia team had to use like three defensive scores to win <laughs> um, at 9 a.m. So yeah, if you're if it's a if it's a Pac-12 team playing um, what is a 9 a.m. Pacific game in non-conference on the road, uh, they're gonna look really Did bad. Did Cal lose to one to Maryland or something? I think something like that. I think happened. Yeah. Um, I think you're gonna. This tradition is. I bet you it's gonna continue, even though David maybe doesn't agree with me. Uh, Pac-12 doesn't make the playoff. That's a that's a new tradition. <laughs> I, I agree with you. And, I and they're out in chance. September. Like it's not even like it comes down to the end. It's like everybody gets a loss in September, so it doesn't matter. It is. It is nice, even without the round robin that we just still distribute losses so evenly. It's yeah. really sweet, actually. And and you do it early. It's not, yeah. yeah. And and they also have a tradition of let's have our best teams play each other like in week two. So every, if someone gets a loss early and then instead of like, let's wait till the end of the year and let them play. So, you know, Michigan, Ohio State, they like to play at the end. You know, let's have like Washington and Cal play and USC and Stanford and USC and Utah play. Like all these teams should play in September. So everyone gets losses and then you're just out. You don't have to worry about the rest of the season. So that's a good tradition too. Yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. Okay, so I guess I'll read this one. Uh, SC will win the South if Utah loses one more Pac-12 conference game. This is from Scott in Washington. Uh, Ryan, Dave, I'd like to know if there was any talk about USC after the Washington game about how different that game would have been had the Trojans just came out and ran the ball from the get-go. Sitting in the stands, it was obvious the second half, USC could get 
at least five yards minimum anytime they wanted to run one of their running backs behind your left tackle as the holes were massive. Being a Washington fan, I am, of course, happy the Trojans didn't do this, but had they ran it for all four quarters, not just the second half, that game is a complete coin flip. And had SC not had either of the first two turnovers and ran it from the beginning, you win that game by two scores. With that being said, looking at SC's conference schedule, the rest of the way, Pac-12 South minus Utah and Oregon, who has a legitimate shot at beating them if they play like they have the last two weeks versus Utah and Washington. The only team I could see is the Ducks, and you get them at home. Hence, one more loss by Utah and SC would lose two more league games, and that isn't happening. Thanks for the podcast. Go Dogs, Scott and Washington. P.S. SC has some Sunday dudes on defense. Wow, your front your front four and safeties are athletic as excuse me are as athletic as hell and hit like a freight truck. Urban Meyer will not be walking into an empty kitchen in January. LOL. Is Scott in Washington like trying to blow smoke or something? Uh, it seems like a weird thing to do after that game. It was weird. Um, I think Washington outplayed them for sure. Outcoached them for sure. Um, they're not going to run the ball as much as they probably should because it's like this air raid kind of thing. But I think they could have had more success running it because of the fronts that Washington was playing. They're playing a lot of zone and dropping guys back off. But that just isn't kind of what they do. So they sort of force some things. But I, I thought but, Washington. But all that talk about the way USC has played the last two weeks, no one can beat them besides Oregon. Yeah, that's bunk. I mean, Utah played them and lost. Look, Utah played them and they still lost that game. There's like one game right now that I'd feel like super comfortable picking USC, and that's probably Arizona at USC. Really? Because that's one um, I don't know. Like that Arizona's playing much better right now. Yeah, crap, man. I don't know. Oh no, no. Actually, I, I completely blew that. There's one game I feel really confident about, and that's UCLA. Okay. <laughs> um, no, that uh, everyone else I think is is a it's a toss up. I mean, okay, so they'll be they're going to be huge dogs against Notre Dame, but that's not a conference game, so we'll ignore it. They'll probably be I don't know seven to ten point favorites over Arizona at home, something like that. Yeah, they'll probably be three point favorites over Colorado on the road, three to seven. Probably, but that's you know. That's definitely losable. I think they're they're capable of losing all of those games. They're going to be more talented. They'll they'll win a bunch of them, but they're going to lose some. They're not. They're just not going to be able to play real well and and win all those games. I think that's the big problem with the, they'll, they'll you know they'll come out and play well in a couple of games and they'll come out and play like crap in some other ones. And uh, you know the Utah result is is very strange, but you know that happens. Utah didn't play as good as they you know statistically they were better, but um, you know, Utah just made a bunch of mistakes and uh, they, they clean them all up the next week against Washington State. But that they do have the tiebreaker and that's a big deal. But I just don't see them going, you know, winning enough games down the stretch that they are able to overcome. I think Utah's still going to win the, the South. Yeah. Because, I mean, USC is going to be dogs, obviously, against Notre Dame, but they're going to be dogs. They're going to be a home dog against Oregon and they're probably going to be a dog against Arizona State on the road. Yeah. Um, at least as it looks right now. And then there'll be minor key favorites over Arizona, Colorado, and Cal. Um, and probably decent favorites over UCLA. But still, I mean, this is anybody thinking they're going to clean the slate and, and go even five and one during that stretch, I think, is, is smoking some fine stuff. Yeah. But who knows? All right. You want to do who the knows? podcast of cannibals? I would love to. This is from Christopher Higginbotham. Oh, I like that name. 
That's a great name. That's pretty cool. All right. Dear POC, Podcast of Cannibals, ASU gets another top 20 road rin. Road rin. <laughs> Did you hear just what I just said? I said road rin. I like it. Yeah, and I'm the good reader, apparently. <laughs> uh, ASU gets another top 20 road win and takes out their Colorado loss on poor old Cal. A sadistic part of me loves that every team in conference has a loss because it has become more of a bloodbath than usual. I've never seen the Pac-12 this competitive since I started paying attention in 2012. The conference we love, hate, is hell-bent on destroying itself, but it makes for great entertainment. I have made some observations as to why. Oregon State is a great example. Oregon State has a very positive culture on the sideline and in the stands, and it's because they have nothing to lose, always the underdog, and people love underdogs. They have some extremely talented players, Luton, Pierce, Hodgins. Jamar Jefferson is hurt, and his backup might be just as good. Oregon State does. Uh, Oregon State players don't have ego-driven illusions of grandeur clouding their judgment. They just do their best with a limited pool of talent. Oregon State, Colorado, ASU, Cal, Arizona. They are building programs and closing the gap on the pedigree programs. Some of these teams are hungry this season. Lots of entitlement these days, and I think that's why the Dark Horses might win out this year. Uh, one, top three teams that are over... Okay, so I think this is what he's asking us. Okay. Uh, one, top three teams that are overperforming this year. Okay. Should we, uh, I'll go... Should we do this? Cal. You think they're overperforming? I mean, they're four and one. Yeah. I think you got to go ASU and Arizona. I think those are fair. Yeah. Well, Colorado too. Yeah, they're three and one. They're overperforming your expectations already. Yeah. Yeah. A few. Yeah. Let's do that. Let's do both Arizona schools in Colorado. Okay. Does that sound good? I like that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, top three teams that are underperforming. Ooh. Okay. Got to go the schools we cover. And Stanford? USC, UCLA, Stanford, probably fair. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Top three teams in terms of drive and composure. <sighs> I don't know what drive I don't know what drive means. I'm not there. sure what you mean there. Um, I mean I, I think whatever you mean there, Arizona State probably has to be in there. Like yeah. the fact that they can win the close games. Jaden Daniels is the seasoned vet. Yeah. <laughs> as, um, a, as a true freshman. Um they play with some composure. I think Washington generally does. Yeah. Um, maybe Utah. Maybe Oregon. Maybe. Yeah, Utah. Sure. They had the. I don't think Oregon. I, I wouldn't give Oregon that after they kind of blew the Auburn game. Yeah, the way Utah, but Utah blew the USC game too. So, but I, I, yeah. I, Utah bounced back with the best win. I, I'll, I'll go with Utah. That's fine with me. Cool. All right. Uh, that's from Christopher. And just so people know, yes. Try to read long emails after you've been talking for two hours, and, and with and as you go, you have to fix grammatical errors in your head. Oh God, yeah, no, I'm, uh, yeah. Like you, like this is when Dave paused in the middle of that one. It was because it was incorrect, so he had to fix something there. So it's not, yeah, it's not easy. When you when you guys throw in the like missing words and stuff, just know how difficult that makes yeah. their lives. And then when there's no punctuation and there's Latin or something in there, it's it's just not easy all the time. So hey, Hithliday. Damn it. Krasi, uh, Stulti, and Beatty. Do you know what any of those are? Uh, well, we're looking at Latin here. Stulti? That's definitely, definitely the language. Do you want to Google that? Krasi um, might be referring to Crassus. Mm. Maybe. Means, hang on. Let's just Google this sucker. All right. Uh, Crassus 
means dense, thick, or solid. Okay. All right. Uh, stulty. That's foolish or stupid, I think. Okay. Okay. All right. So I think we're looking at, like, probably we're talking, we talk about the big uglies here. Okay. I like that. Um, okay. Beatty. Let's see what Beatty is. Uh, Beatty. Beatty. Uh, that might be Beati. B E A T I. What does it mean, though? I don't know. I looked up the one. rich or wealthy. I don't know. Okay. Whatever, man. Whatever, Hitler Day. Uh, okay. A couple weeks ago, I asked you boys to give your gut takes on each team's offensive and defensive lines. They've mostly held up, but you rather breezily gave Wazoo two thumbs up on both lines. And I wonder if you'd like to reassess or reasses, I think he means. Um, <laughs> in particular, the Cougars O-line has gotten a lot of praise over the last two years that I think is undeserved when I watch film. So he doesn't like them. Uh, nope. I think commentators last year saw their sky-high completions to sacks ratio and jumped to the conclusion that the line must be doing great. But if you actually watch them, they were letting pressures through constantly. It's just that Gardner Minshew would dance out of it and deliver. They did have a first-round draft pick off that offensive line, Hitler Day, but I'll just, you know, we don't want to go with facts. This year, it's effectively the same line, but their first four games were against god-awful defenses. And he gives a little asterisk, and we can point to the defenses that they're looking at. So no one noticed that Anthony Gordon doesn't have the same escapability. Against Utah, the line collapsed predictably. Gordon couldn't pull a rabbit out of his hat. Sure enough, 5.1 yards per attempt and two picks. What do you think of that theory? Also, second thoughts about their defensive line. Okay. Um, I, I did buy that last year with Gardner Minshew, um, that he did make them look better than they were because he has that mobility. But I, I've actually been kind of impressed with Anthony Gordon's mobility as well. So yeah, far. I thought he's escaped pretty good. Yeah, I don't know if he's quite the athlete that Minshew was, but he's not the statue that Luke Falk was either. Um, let me pull up. Washington State sack stats this year. So okay, far, and so I, I and his little asterisk. So theory. New Mexico State, uh, they're 125th in defensive S and P plus. I think they just call it SP plus or whatever now. Uh, Northern Colorado is 0 for 4 in, in the FCS. Houston is 114th in defensive S and P plus, and UCLA is 87th. Yeah. So okay. So Washington State has given up um, six sacks this year. Uh, yeah. Two of them against UCLA, uh, but I mean, from a U, from a sack rate standpoint, I think they're probably doing pretty well. Yeah, I would think so. Um, sack percentage. Hang on, let me look up. Uh, this is great radio, I think, for everybody out there. It's perfect. Um, Googling. Uh, yeah, Washington Washington State's still elite in um, sacks given up. They've only given up sacks on two point eight two percent of uh, of available downs. That's 15th in the country. Um, so uh, I don't know that we have an explanation for their their offensive line being bad. Um, I do agree with you. I think from an eye test standpoint, they don't blow you away. Yeah, they haven't been as the, good maybe as we thought. But. but the reality is they're not a super running team, and they don't get their quarterback sacked a ton. So what else are we really asking of yeah. them? Um, we're not asking them to be Oregon's offensive line. I mean, and, you know, I think some at, of it's scheme too. I think you're scheming to get rid of the ball quicker and it helps the offensive line, but they did have a first round draft pick last year. So, you know, there was, yeah, and I, 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 I would still be okay with um, giving them the thumbs up. 
Um, I'm less okay with giving the D-line the thumbs up. I think that was probably a bit early. Fair. Um, I would probably drop them down to either iffy or thumbs down entirely. Fair, fair. All right. Next up, we've got Andy. Oh, boy. All right. The Pat Hayden effect. Hey, guys. With UW surviving the second half against USC and closing recruiting on Savelle Smalls this weekend, I can't help but is that is that my am I pronouncing that correctly? Uh, I think so, yeah. Great. I can't help but toast Pat Hayden and the USC athletic department for bungling their interview with Chris Peterson and eventually hiring Sark away from UW. It makes me wonder who else has benefited from USC's terrible hiring decisions since Mike Garrett was canned for the OJ Mayo Reggie Bush debacle. USC recruited at an elite level through the 2000 through the 2010s. Words are so difficult right now. Uh, but AD and coaching blunders have prevented the program from returning to the top tier of college football. Rose Bowl win, obviously an exception. Now, recruiting is clearly suffering under floundering leadership and an uncertain future, thus widening the door for other teams to establish themselves as perennial powers in the conference. It simply amazes me that USC wasn't even close in recruiting with Savelle Smalls. During the Pete Carroll era, hell, even the Kiffin-Sark era, UW would have ha- wouldn't have had a snowball's chance in hell landing a player of that caliber going head-to-head with USC. Along with UW and Oregon, teams have been plucking top talent out of USC's backyard for several years. Which two or three programs do you think benefited the most from USC's recent struggles? I think the obvious answer is Washington, C. Peterson, Chris. But I'd be eager to get your opinion on other programs that have seen the greatest positive coaching and recruiting wins that can be tied back to USC's hiring nepotism this decade. Huge fan of the show. Keep up the great work. Well, I'll tell you one, Andy. <laughs> definitely not UCLA. Yeah. <laughs> it should be. And, you, and Andy, you're right. Uh, Pat Hayden was probably the worst athletic, dir- athletic director in USC history. Hiring Sark away, and he only lasted 16 games before flaming out, and allowing Chris Peterson to go to Washington was a double whammy. It's like one of the worst moves you could make. And so USC's finally over, apparently, uh, hiring former football players. Lin Swan wasn't much better than Pat Hayden. Um, you know, they're going to bring in somebody who has athletic director experience, which hasn't happened at USC since 1984. So that was a big, I mean, it doesn't get much bigger as far as blunders go than what USC's nepotistic hires have been. That was terrible. I do think Washington was the obvious benefit beneficiary because you get Chris Peterson in and I think Oregon's right up there too. But the problem for the PAC 12 is when USC is down and even when they're down, they can do stupid stuff like win a Rose bowl, you know, like, so that happens just because they got talent. They get a special quarterback like Sam Darnold and and you do great things when USC's down like a Washington. Okay. They made the, the playoff in 2016. No Pac-12 team has made one since. So when USC's down, it's it's supposed to allow someone else to rise up and and take over. And, uh, you know, we haven't seen Oregon do that yet. You know, Washington State won 11 games, but they can't beat Washington. You know, Washington will lose a crazy one. You know, they lose to Auburn or they'll lose to Stanford or whatever. It's someone has to step up and just kind of run the table. And, you know, Washington gets the early loss to Cal in a weird lightning game. Always something weird seems to happen. Um, but if USC gets a, you know, fires Helton and gets a great coach in there, then that window probably closes. And you're wondering like, why didn't one of the other Pac-12 schools sort of, uh, rise up and, and do something big, you know, make a, a national championship game or something like that. So I don't know, but I, I would probably say Washington and Oregon, maybe the biggest beneficiaries and USC's recruiting is in the tank right now. And that's not going to change until they fire Helton, which 
could happen any day now or happen at the end of the year. But they'll they'll get at that back, um, I'm sure. But they just have to get a, a real coach in there, which they don't have right now. Yeah, I would go Oregon and Washington are the most consistent and obvious ones. Um, random national programs, Clemson. I mean, they've benefited from it yeah, recently. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Um, but, I mean, there's uh, – Everyone's picking apart this this corpse. There's a lot of buzzards feeding on it. Um, now USC can always rise from the dead, but right now, uh, yeah, it's it's a corpse. Um, so yeah, I mean Washington and Oregon are the obvious answers, and I think Washington now that they're picking up guys like Smalls and their recruiting is pretty consistently at like a top fifteen level. Oregon's is pretty consistently at a top ten level. Um, I think we're going to see them, you know, have a have a really good run here pretty soon. Yeah. Um, not maybe not this year, um, but look, Oregon was a couple of minutes against Auburn from being undefeated right now and looking far and away like the best team in the Pac-12 and like a legit playoff contender. Um, and Auburn's turning out to be very. They're very good. They're better than I thought they would be. So that that's looking better. Um, so I, I don't know how far off they are from, you know, being the standard bearers of the conference. I mean, they obviously are the standard bearers of the conference. I guess what I'm saying is I don't know how far they off, off they are from being a true elite national contender year after year. I think it could get fun here in the Pac-12 North over the next few years. All right. We got Nathan who wrote in, uh, Savan Ahmed is the subject. As a Washington fan, I agree that Ahmed has great speed and athleticism, but is not a great running back. He doesn't have great vision or drive. He will never be able to put a game on his shoulders like Miles Gaskin or other backs of your. Also, it's Ahmed, you crackers. I enjoy the podcast. Keep up the good work. Best, Nathan. Thank you, Nathan. I, I but I was always, it's also, there's no L. It, the L isn't pronounced either, apparently. So I don't know. Whatever. He also said LOL because then Ahmed had a fantastic. Game. Right. So, so did he send that? Oh, he must have sent that in beforehand yeah, and yeah. stuff. Yeah. It's like, right. So the, you didn't like the 89 yard run. Uh, so. You might be able to pronounce his name, but you don't. You don't uh, respect his game. Yeah, that's right. That's right, Nathan. <laughs> we res- uh, whatever. Uh, questions from Las Vegas. This is Tarian from Las Vegas. Ryan and David love the podcast. You guys crack me up. Two questions for David, but Ryan, jump in. David, can you give us your final feedback on the Game <laughs> of Thrones finale? <laughs> okay. Um, and how do you cover UCLA from the other end of the country? Keep it up, guys. Tarian from Las Vegas. All right, I'm going to keep it pretty short on the Game of Thrones finale. Um, it was terrible, um, obviously. Um, and all you haters who were, like, saying my opinions were, like, too harsh early on in that season, how do you feel now? I knew where this crap was going. It's, it, it was bad. It was, it was an awful finale. I don't know that they could have ended it any other way at that point because they'd screwed things up so badly in the final two seasons. But her, horrific stuff. Bran has the best story? Come on. There's, like... Every other character in the show has a better story than Bran. Um, and just uh, so much nonsensical, Just we're just trying to get this thing over with decision-making. Um, they could have done the whole thing better. I think I went over that before, but it was, it was terrible. It, it's the kind of finale, the kind of final season that makes you not want to watch anything ever again in that universe. And I think they're doing like prequels or they're starting to be developed and all that kind of stuff. No interest. And I think a lot of people are going to have no interest. It's the same thing that happened with Lost. Like other shows, you might go and rewatch them 10 years later. I'm never going to rewatch that show. Never going to rewatch this show because the ending tainted it so bad. So, yeah, I thought it was trash. Uh, How do I cover UCLA from the other end of the country? 
very, very sleepily. Um, <laughs> so I don't do the day-to-day beat coverage um, anymore. Um, I did that until I moved out here. But what I do is mainly game-watching, analysis, podcasts, all the kind of stuff that I can do more or less from home. Um, and then, you know, talking to people still and, and doing all that kind of stuff. But um, I'm not doing any of the, like, practice work. And it doesn't really matter anyway because UCLA only allows, like, 10, 15, 20 minutes of practice access per practice now. So you don't really see anything besides stretching anymore. Um, so, yeah, it's it's been fine. It's worked out pretty well, except I just uh, I stay up till like, way too late on Saturday nights. All right. Football season. Thanks, for Terry. I, I don't think there was anything I could really chime in there since I didn't watch Game of Thrones and, you know. It was bad, man. It was so bad. And like it's, I wish I wish he'd asked that like a week after the episode aired because I've tried to wipe most of it from my brain. <laughs> um, but it, like you've got just completely unmotivated decision making. Like all season, Jon Snow's like, "Oh, she's my queen. Don't do anything. Don't do anything to her, or whatever." And then he just like up and stabs her. I mean, and she was she went all insane with like semi justification in the text, but no real. Uh, justification there it just didn't happen over a long enough time span every beat and plot point aside from the very end where they anoint bran the king every beat and plot point made sense in like a very specific like way but it just needed to breathe more like it needed to happen over you know 10 episodes instead of the six or whatever and frankly the last two seasons needed to happen over 20 instead of the 13 gotcha that's really it all right Let's go back to football, potentially quarterbacking in the Pac-12. <laughs> hey, Ryan and Dave, this is Joshua, your loyal listener from Arkansas. So I waited a week to write in with all the mania that was last weekend in the Pac-12. Ryan, I was wondering if you have any connections with the USC staff. I'm convinced with all the success their backups are having, if you could get me onto the team next spring as the seventh string quarterback, I could parlay that into a transfer and scholarship to Cal. Let's make that happen, Joshua. And Dave, yeah. what happened to Monster? I don't remember him being that herocious, herocious at UCLA, although he wasn't great there. And how come Washington keeps playing like Jake Browning is still their quarterback? Uh, do they know Eason has a cannon? Do they know how to use it? Or are they just paying homage to the greatest noodle arm of all time? I mean, why don't they ever try to take the top off the defense? It's like they are allergic to explosive plays. And someone pointed this out. Uh, but Brock Hewer did talk about Jake Browning being there like nine years early in the broadcast. And then someone tweeted us like, he obviously listens to the podcast of champions. So I thought that was funny. Yeah, that would be funny. Um, nobody, nobody, nobody should listen to it. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, what happened to Monster? I, it looked like a, a fair accumulation of rust. He never looked that bad at UCLA ever. So I would say a fair accumulation of rust. That Cal scheme isn't very good. Um Arizona State's defense is okay, but I would say mostly rust. I don't think he'll look that bad again, um, but who knows? Maybe he got a lot worse in the uh, in the intervening moments. Um, Washington, I, I've always thought their offense is a little bit conservative. Um, I, I think it's just been that way since Chris Peterson got there. Um, with John Ross, they threw it over the top a little bit more. Um, so maybe it's a combination of just some general conservatism, but also um, a lack of true deep threats, maybe. They haven't had that guy since John Ross. Yeah. Um, they wanted to take some. I think they 
Brock Heward said they wanted to take like eight shots in the game, and they didn't take any in the first half. But it was sort of like if you feel like you're in control, they might go to Hunter Bryant, you know, their tight end. But it wasn't, you know, it's not like he's a, you know, beat everybody deep kind of guy. But yeah, I mean, they took a couple shots, and USC defensive, like the defensive USC young secondary batted some balls away that were they did a pretty good job. But I thought they could have taken some more shots and had some more explosive plays, you know, outside of. Uh, Ahmed's run for 89 yards, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think you're next, right, sir? This is. Am I? I, I, I just read that one. But. This is Silence Do Good, sir. Uh, that was an exciting weekend of the old pigskin toss. Did I tell you Cal was going to lose? Please let me know. My grandson hasn't shown me how to look at my old emails yet. <laughs> Uh, anyways, I knew those bears didn't have it in them. No school that allows students to protest their government like that will ever field a good football team. Here are my rules for virtue following week five. One, the Bruins fell back to earth or perhaps six feet under. Time to start betting my social security money against them again. Two, was Mike Leach talking about the Washington State team or my good-for-nothing second husband in his post-game interview? Both of them rarely scored and couldn't tackle, that's for sure. Is it just me, single mature woman from Lancaster, or is this the best looking group of coaches we have ever had in the Pac-12, in the Pacific 12, sorry. <clears throat> Who is your number one man? Here is my top five. So I guess we're judging them on looks. All right, five, <laughs> Kyle Whittingham, four, David Shaw, three, Mario Cristobal, two, Justin Wilcox, one, Herm Edwards. He is closest to my age. Till next week, silence, do good. I think silence here, so first, thank you for the question. Um... I think he's. I, I think she has successfully identified the five probably best looking coaches in the Pac-12. Mel Tucker's a good looking guy. Yeah. Um. Someone's not. Uh. Clay Helton and Chip Kelly are both. You know. Not. Um. I'd probably go with Wilcox. Smith. Wilcox probably is number one. I. I don't know. I'm kind of partial to Cristobal. Really. Yeah, he's a handsome dude. A little more girth out of I don't know. Wilcox seems like he He's a little thicker. Yeah. No, Wilcox looks kind of pinched all the time. He looks a little angry. Oh. All right. Well, if they're like if you're out in line in a club, I think they pick Wilcox to go in first. Well, yeah, but I think Cristobal, I think he's warm, he's friendly, he treats you right. Like I think he's you know, he's if you're doing the classic FMK, I think he's the Mary. I think yeah. you're Mary and Cristobal. You know, he'd probably treat you right. He probably can cook. I think there's a lot to like there about Mario Cristobal. Um Kyle Whittingham, good shape, right? Yeah, there's a ruggedness like factor to him. Yeah. But, like, yeah. it depends. You know, David Shaw or Herm are both good-looking dudes, too. Just kind of slick. If you're, like, a little older, like uh, Silence is, I think you got to go with yeah. Herm. Herm's a good pick. Yeah. Yeah, I think Herm works. Um, I don't know. Shaw would probably be my last. I think Herm's up there. Cristobal's up there. And I think this you've got a good ranking here, Silence. I think it comes down to personal preference at this point. But I want to say you have the right five. All right. Uh, Jonathan Smith doesn't sneak in? or I don't know. I don't know. I think Jonathan Smith and Mel Tucker are just falling right outside. Okay. Um, and then you got gargoyles like Mike Leach, where it's just like, no, nah, man. <laughs> Gar- Get out of here. Gargoyles. If he could call his uh, players fat and slow, you can call him a gargoyle. I can call him a gargoyle, yeah. Okay. Uh, so this is... Title, this is our last email titled Bruins Suck. Uh, it's, it's your old pal, Hugh Janus. H U G H J A N U S. Thanks, Hugh Janus. Um, I've got a few, man, my voice is already gone. I've got a few fill in the blank, blank questions for you today. So this looks like Mad Libby. Uh, one, 
blank is my pick as the next AD at UCLA. Uh, way too early to say. Because um, he's not stepping Terry down. Terry Toomey, maybe? He's not stepping Terry down until 2020, maybe? right? Yeah, I'll go Terry Toomey. Okay. Number two, blank is my pick as the next AD at dollar sign UC. That's USC, I think. I'm going to go with uh, Pat Shaw and the Washington State AD. That's what I'm hearing the most okay. right now. Cool. Three, blank is the best player in the Pac-12. Ooh. <sighs> He's bagged up, but I, I kind of lean towards LaVisca Chenault, you know? Mm-hmm. Do you? Who else would you want? All right, who's in the conversation <laughs> should be the first thing. Um, so you've got LaVisca. Eno Benjamin. Eno Benjamin. Uh, pick a Utah defensive lineman. Yeah, I think I think I'd go with an I, Bradley and I. Okay. Um, no one on UCLA. Probably nobody on USC. Yeah, maybe like um, Talanoho Funga. Like he's been a stud, but I, I don't think he's the best player in the Pac-12. Nobody on Cal. Uh, nobody on Stanford. Yeah, what, what I like on the DB's name. Um, uh, Paulson Adebo. Yeah. I mean, he's really good. I just don't think he's um, the top guy in the league. Yeah. Oregon, Oregon. you could talk me into one of their DBs, maybe. Um, yeah, I don't know about yeah. Herbert. Like, I don't know if you'd call him the best player. I mean, you could. You could. We, we knock him, but you could. I think he's had a pretty good year so far. Nobody Washington um, State. Um no, I mean, Anthony Gordon looked sharp through the first three games, but not of late. LaVisca Chanel, I think, is fair and completely right. Um, yeah, I think I'll, I'll go LaVisca. I think uh, Oregon State has an argument with Isaiah Hodgins, too. Yeah. Um, or even Jamar Jefferson, I'll, like, you know. Yeah, I think if we're going running back, Eno Benjamin, even with, you know, offensive line issues, keeping his stats down this year, I think he's a better running back. But, um, yeah, give me LaVisca. Okay. That's fine. Four blank is the worst coach in the Pac-12. Clay Helton. Clay Helton, yeah. Uh, five. Larry Scott came from the world of women's tennis. Ugh. The next commissioner will come from the world of. Um. Ooh, good question. The world of. I'm guessing it's going to be like some television? kind of television. Yeah, like sports business or something like that. Like not, it's not going to be like another, it's not going to be like someone that's like the number two guy at the SEC conference. Like they're going to get somebody like from TV or something like that. Yeah, because they're going to try to differentiate again and it'll yeah. go stupidly again. But yeah, yeah, I agree. Six, Clay Helton blank be the coach at dollar sign UC next season. Will not. Yeah, will not. Yeah. Blank and blank will play in the Pac-12 championship game this season. Who do you think? Oregon and Utah. I'm going to go Washington and Utah. All right. Uh, Eight Pac-12 referees, blank. I guess this this is more match game. I'm trying to think of a way to say it that's not vulgar. Oh, because I was going to say suck the blank out of a dead dog's blank. <laughs> I like that. It's not a long uh, blank, so I don't it might have to be um 
I would go maybe underperform. Is that Art Art <laughs> Yeah. Um Pac twelve res- referees ride the struggle bus. I <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. I think that's fair. That's nice. Yeah, all that. All that works. Ralphie Ralphie is clearly the best mascot in the conference. Blank is second best. Mm. The the stupid tree. You gotta go tree? The stupid tree, yeah. All right. I do love like traveler riding around the the, uh, Coliseum. Of course you do. Some big idiot on a white horse. Yeah, I know you do. It's a it's a chick sometimes, dude. Like you gotta be with whatever. You gotta be woke. Um, I'm I'm being woke. A woman can be a big idiot too. Okay, that's fine. Oh, that's good. It's not a gendered term. Uh, the the husky, which isn't really a husky, it's like a Siberian something or whatever, but it's a beautiful dog. Uh, love that. Yeah, I'm going dumb treat. The uh, what's the the duck? What's the duck's name? Um, shit. Mickey. No. Donald. <laughs> no. no, but it's pretty Mickey's good. He's a mouse. <laughs> The like the the people in bear costumes at UCLA and Cal are pretty terrible. Um, <laughs> just the, I like the Cal ones a little bit because it's like more old school, like you know, uh, it's a bear in a sweater, twenty three skidoo kind of stuff, which is neat. Um, uh, what else? <laughs> ASU's like yeah, it's just, you know, it's like a devil. Um, what else? Who were we missing? Yeah, I think you got like it. A cougar, like if it was a real cougar, like that's real cougar. All you're, all you're showing me, all you're saying to me right now is it's the stupid tree. <laughs> I really don't, I'm not really liking the tree so much. So we gotta go in other directions. Um, yeah, that's all right. I mean, I okay. As far as like turnover crap, uh, I do like Oregon State's chainsaw, so that's cool. Like, USC has, like, a sword with a football in it. Like, it's the lamest freaking thing ever. Those things are pretty lame. But I'm going to go with Oregon State's turnover chainsaw. I like that. I think it brings it. Cool. Yeah. Uh, Number 10, UCLA football sucks right now because blank. Whew. Um, Because because Chip Kelly sucks right now. Yeah. Um, Um, So, it's it's – I, I I got it down to three reasons. Okay. One, um, he's trying to do something different offensively than what he did previously. Um, if I hear one more stupid person say, oh, you know, college football caught up to Chip Kelly and that's why it's not working right now. He's not running the same damn thing. He's not. Well, I, he's running something far different. But I think they I think college football just caught up to him, Dave. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna fight you. <laughs> Um, he's running something entirely different. He clearly has a desire to run something that's very tight end heavy, um, and it's not working very well. Two, uh, he's not recruiting, and he's done poor roster management to this point. He cut a bunch of guys, as many new coaches do. But what those new coaches often do at that point is then recruit like a 30-man class in their first class and a 30-man class in their second class. He didn't do that. So you're left with a roster where they've got, I think, 74 scholarship players right now. Um, that's self-sanctioning. Um, so that's bad. Um, and they also they cut some guys, like some actual guys, to the point where they're playing some walk-ons now. Three, um, he hired very poorly on the defensive side of the ball. Um, it's a lot of I would you could you could ungenerously describe it as cronyism, but also you could just describe it as he hired guys he knew and the guys he knew aren't very good defensive coaches. Um, but nobody was knocking down the doors of Jerry Azanaro or Don Pelham 
um, to hire them um, before Chip Kelly got this job. So I don't know. I, I think the defensive staff has shown some clear deficiencies at this point, and um, it's going to be interesting if any changes get made there. Um, but I think if you're pinning the three issues, it's he's trying out a new offense that's unproven. Maybe it'll work. We don't know. It certainly doesn't appear to be working as well as uh, what he did at Oregon. Um, two, he's managed the roster very poorly. And three, I think he hired a mediocre at best defensive staff. I'll say UCLA football sucks right now because of Chip Kelly's indifference. It just seems like he's like, eh, you know, whatever happens. I don't know if you think that's fair or not, but it just doesn't seem like he's, it doesn't seem like his heart's in it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't, I, I think the emotional investment level for him, I mean, obviously he's not a rah-rah guy in the best of times, but I don't think the emotional investment for him is there. Um, I, I feel he, like he was emotionally invested in Oregon, not being a rah-rah yeah, guy. Yeah, you know to I mean? his extent. Yeah, exactly. Like he and loved beating the pants off like other powers, and he loved like out-scheming them and beating, you know, beating them by 50 points and stuff. Like It just seemed like that you could. it was like the smile on his face, like the Grinch, you know? Uh, it's just when he's about to steal Christmas. And I just, I don't see that now. Yeah. I think he lost, I think he lost a little something in his NFL years. Um, and I think, yeah, I think there's just some, some hangups there. Um, cause look, I mean, you go through a, a period of, of being kind of terrible after you had this, such a run of success. I mean, it, look, I, Things do things mentally to everybody all the time. Like if you just have a bad day at your job, that'll screw you up mentally for a little while. Well, imagine having a very public-facing job where you suck for three straight years, basically. Um, and then uh, you get fired and everyone talks about you as if you've lost your entire mind. Um, and then you get a new job and uh, it's not going well either. Um, look, I mean, people are human. He's a human. Um, and that, that'll, that'll screw you up a little bit. And I would have a hard time being like super invested and rah rah about a job where it's my third straight job where I'm not particularly doing well. Um, and that's just like speaking obliquely, just kind of mentally. I don't, I don't know what his mental state is, but yeah, I mean, it's a, uh, it's a tough gig. I mean, it's, it's a well compensated gig, um, but it's a, you're, you're a public facing person who deals with a lot of criticism. Yeah. Um, so that can be tough to do. All right. Many thanks as always. Hugh. Janus. Thank you, Hugh. He says, P.S. Wildcats 54, Bruins 27. Woo. Hope that's not right. That's, that's Yeah, that's interesting because that game just happened. Oh, wait. Oh, yeah. That So, I wonder why he said that. Yeah. Strange. Um, yeah, UCLA's playing, uh, wait, who's Oregon, Oregon, State. Oregon State this weekend? Yeah. Yep. yep, yep. All right. Well, I guess that's going to wrap it up. Um, good stuff. It was good. It yeah, was. sorry my voice was not all there today, but hopefully we persevered. I don't think either of our brains were all there today. No. But we, but we fought through it, and that's all that matters. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up. That's David Woods. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thank you so much for being a little part of our show, the podcast of champions. Please tell your friends. Let them know, hey, man, if you like the Pac-12 football, it may not be that good, but this podcast is pretty good. Go check it out. We do appreciate all that. So thanks for sending all the questions. Enjoy this weekend, Saturday only, of Pac-12 football, and we will talk to you next time.